Well, Lord our God, you've chosen to make yourself known through your creation, your word, your son, and your spirit. Now reveal your glory to us and through us, the church. Speak to us, form us, lead us, dwell in us. Teach us today how to love as Jesus loves, to welcome the stranger, heal the sick, and care for the poor, to bear good news, build bridges, and bring your people home. For Christ in us is the hope of glory. May your perfect will prevail in us this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Well, we're continuing our series called Love Where You Live, uh, and uh, our whole church has been spending six weeks doing three things. Number one, getting to know the communities that we live in and make new friends along the way. A lot of you have been saying, I had no idea that, that our, there was so much going on in our city. I didn't, uh, I'd never been to the police station, never been to City Hall, and never, didn't know about this class that was offered in, at the community center. It's been wonderful. Uh, number two, we want to listen to the needs around us and come up with creative ways uh, to meet them. And thirdly, we've been inviting people to visit our church and explore what it means to become a follower of Jesus. Um, now, we are doing this because we believe our primary mission in life is to bring people into God's family. And we are uh, made for God, and we believe that the way to God is not through a system, but through a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. So we want to build a bridge between the community and the church, between our neighbors and Jesus. That is the goal of our campaign, to build those bridges. That is why we are doing this. And, and some of the highlights, I mean, I could, I could give you 20 highlights from the past week. I'm just going to give you a few. Um, up on the top left, you'll see, that's our East L.A. group. Uh, we visited the, uh, the East L.A. field office for our L.A. County Supervisor, Hilda Solis, uh, to learn about how county government works uh, and how we can work together to make life better for everyone. One of the questions we asked the field team there was, um, what are some quality of life issues that our county is really concerned about, and, uh, and how can we help you? How can we support you? They talked about two things, environmental issues and immigration. Uh, those are two of the things that are, that are on their hearts, and we said, great, we'd love to talk to you more about that. Uh, you'll see on the top right, that's our Montebello group over at Grant Ray Park. Uh, and what they did is they set up free face painting and crafts at Grant Ray Park. Right in between, it just all happened, two big birthday parties. And so all the kids were like, what are you doing over here? And, the, and uh, said, oh, it's free face painting and uh, crafts. Would you like to participate? In the, and they said, uh, Mom, Dad, can I go? So we had all these kids come over and, uh, because it takes a while to get your face painted. Um, we, uh, we just had a lot of great opportunities to have conversations. And because this is our neighborhood, we could say, uh, as we introduced ourselves, I just live on that street right over there, just a couple blocks over. Oh, me too. I didn't know that. So we got to meet some really neat people. Uh, down in the uh, bottom left, you'll see one of our Monterey Park groups uh, made uh, gift baskets for the fire department just across the street, uh, the Trinity janitorial staff, and they had a chance to pray over them. It was amazing. Our MPCS, Monterey Park Christian School, group also did a similar thing yesterday. It was, a one it was amazing. Um, down on the bottom right, that is uh, several members from different groups attended uh, the Wednesday night Monterey Park uh, City Council meeting. And uh, on the agenda, they were passing a resolution uh, affirming that our city will preserve the rights of all people 
within its jurisdiction regardless of race or class or immigration status. It's an amazing meeting. Um, usually people can come up and give comments. 27 people from the community got up and spoke on that issue, four of them from our church, uh, and, uh, and it passed 5-0. It was awesome. It's just a really neat thing to be a part of. Uh, so we uh, are trying to fulfill our purpose, our mission. Uh, every single one of us has a purpose. You have a purpose. We all have something to contribute. We all are made to meet a particular need, to solve a particular problem, to right a particular wrong. You are here for a reason. You were made to be a blessing. In Genesis 12, uh, we read that God said to Abram, who later became Abraham, the father of the Israelites, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, leave your people, go to the land I'm going to show you. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. And we have inherited uh, this mandate as God's people. You will be a blessing, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's not a slogan. That is a promise. It is a calling. It is our identity. We are people who are called to be a blessing. In Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In Galatians 6, 9, Paul admonishes us. He says, Let us not become weary in doing good. Keep doing it. Keep going. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, here's what we're going to talk about today. There are a lot of ways to do good. But is there a particular kind of good that we are supposed to be doing as Christians? Or do we just do random nice things for people? And the Bible teaches that we are to bless people. And that means something very specific. To bless someone is different than just doing a random act of kindness. Okay? We are called to bless people. And the Hebrew word for bless is the word barak. Yes, in the name of our former president, right? Barak means to bless. Uh, specifically, it means to enrich or to make fertile, to honor or to salute. Um, and we're going to see how that works in the first uh, blessing that we see upon humanity in the book of Genesis. God creates the man and the woman, creates human beings. We read that God blessed the man and woman and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, the blessing is not just God blessed you and then he said this. That is the blessing. Those, that statement is the blessing that God gives us. So what happens? God enriches humanity. He makes them fertile. He says, go and bear fruit. He makes them fertile, able to produce fruitful, and then he honors them. Remember, it also means to honor or to salute. He honors human beings by giving them status and giving them purpose. These are not things that they could have attained on their own. They were a gift from their creator. God made us something more than the rest of creation. 
his other creatures. He blessed us. He made us something more. He enriched us. He made us fertile and fruitful and productive. He gave us honor. In other words, to bless someone means that you add value to their lives. It's different than just doing a random nice thing. You actually add value to them. So when we are blessed, we somehow have more. We become something more. There is an increase in position, in dignity. There's an increase in our authority, in our possessions, in our purpose. We become more, something more when we are blessed. And so every time that we see God blessing somebody, we see this happening. Their lives are enriched. They have more. They become more. And when most people say, I'm blessed, usually what they mean is, I have a lot of stuff. I'm blessed. I got stuff, right? Or they might say, I have a good life. I'm blessed. But that's not what it means, right? What makes a blessing a blessing is not what you have. What makes a blessing a blessing is how you got it. How you got it. Because a blessing by nature comes from outside yourself. In other words, you can't bless yourself. You have to be blessed by another. In other words, blessings by definition are relational. A blessing implies a relationship. You, what you're saying is someone cared enough about me to come to my aid. Someone cared about me enough to lift me up, to make me stronger. So to say I'm blessed means not I have stuff. Saying I'm blessed means I receive the favor of another person. I have been given by another power, possessions, dignity, purpose from outside myself. In other words, to say I'm blessed is saying somebody loves me. Someone favors me. Someone made me something more. I am blessed. And blessings are tangible. To bless somebody is not just to wish them well. Hey, God bless you. Have a nice day. To bless is to add real, tangible value to someone's life. So here's what that means then. When God says that you and I will be a blessing... What he is saying is that he is going to use us to give people something they didn't have before. God will use us to add tangible value to people's lives. And by doing that, we are showing them that somebody loves them. That's what we're doing when God says, you will be a blessing. This world will become something more because of you. So, what is that thing? What, is, what are we supposed to give the world that the world cannot obtain for itself? What is that tangible thing? Well, it's more than a fruit basket. Fruit baskets are nice. It's more than face painting. It's more than inviting your neighbor for a barbecue. And these are very good things. We are asking you to do these things. These are wonderful things. But they are just to establish a relationship. Very nice things to do. And it fills our heart with great joy when we see you doing them. Wonderful. Thank you for doing that. Um, but that is not the end goal. We know that's not the end goal, right? It's just the beginning. Because we are called to be more than just good neighbors. The Christian faith is not about just being a good neighbor. Our mission is not just to perform random acts of kindness. We are called to be a blessing to add significant, tangible value to the world in a very special 
way. Through us, the church is supposed to become something. The world is supposed to become something more, something greater, something new. And the primary way that we do that, the primary way (coughs) that we are to bless the world is to fully dedicate ourselves, fully dedicate ourselves to the task of proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the primary way that we add value to the world. We make the world something more as we dedicate ourselves completely to sharing the gospel of Jesus. We are to share God's plan for the salvation of the world, how God rescues us from sin and darkness to tell people what God has done for us, the things that we cannot do for ourselves. This is what we have to offer. This is the value that we add. This is how we join God in making the world something greater, something new. So that's our mission. That is what we add. But we have to know what that gospel is. What is the gospel? And see, the gospel has several layers. It's more than just a catchy slogan that you slap on the bumper sticker of your car. The gospel is a story. The gospel is a a way of seeing the world. It's a worldview. The gospel is a description of who God is and his plan for us, all of us. And so I'm going to read to you a passage that tries to capture the essence of the gospel in Colossians 1. Colossians 1, 15 to 23. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull those out. There's some in the pews. Uh, you can look it up on your phone. Colossians 1, 15 to 23. And I want to make sure that we are not just taking one verse and saying that's the gospel. This is a passage that describes some of the layers in the gospel. And it starts with this. Paul writes, as he's trying, attempting to explain this good news. <coughs> and he starts with saying, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now that in itself is how the gospel begins. It's not just, here's how you go to heaven. It starts with, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and in Him All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by the Son, through the Son, and for the Son. And the Son, Jesus, is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In the Son, Jesus, all things are holding together. And this is part of the gospel. This is part of the good news. He's got this. Right? He's got this. And he is the head of the body. That's good news. Because if it was Albert is the head of the body, the church, that would be bad news. Right? Because I I would fail horribly at that task. But the son, who is the image of the invisible God, is the head of his body, the church. That's good news. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy, not any of us. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in the Son. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. All things are being reconciled to God through Christ. That's good news. 
whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's gospel. That's good news. And then he continues, once you were alienated from God, that's bad news, but it's good news because it's past tense. Once, you mean we're not anymore? Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's good news. And if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, that will be said of you, that you are without blemish, holy, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, don't move from this hope. And then he says, this is the gospel. Everything I just said, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, which is also good news. This news is not being contained with just a few people. It's being proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So this is the gospel. Jesus is Lord, the image of the invisible God. This is the gospel that all things, including you and me, were created by him. And he's got this and he is holding it all together. And yes, the world is horribly broken. But the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus is reconciling to himself all things. All things are being made new, new, beginning with you, beginning with me. Once you were alienated from God, enemies because of our evil behavior. But we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's gospel, that's good news. And we are being made holy without blemish. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, don't move from this hope, this gospel. Jesus is Lord. He's making all things new. Beginning with us is being proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Everyone's going to hear this good news. God is reconciling all things to himself through Christ. So how do we bless the world? By telling them this good news. And then by showing them, by showing them that it's true through our words and through our actions, by allowing Jesus to transform us from the inside out, and then by joining him and building his kingdom on earth. So we're not just doing nice things for people. We are trying to show people what God is like. We are trying to show people what his kingdom is going to look like and to invite people to join his family and his purposes. Now, that's much more than just doing nice things for people, yes? And so when we sing songs like Build Your Kingdom Here, We are saying, God, use us to do just that, right? And so we ask questions like, like, God, what can I do? What can I do that will show the world a little bit more of your heart? What, What will give people a glimpse of the glory of God and his justice and compassion and the majesty and beauty of this coming kingdom? What can I do, God? To show people that. How how can I give people a picture and a preview of the kingdom? What is it like? God, what is your kingdom like? Show me, because I want to show other people what that's like. What do you value, God? We know that God has a special heart, as we talked a couple weeks ago. God has a special heart for the poor, for the orphan, for the widow, and for the alien. So, any good that we do for these people, the least of these, shows people what God is like. We know that God lifts up the humble and the powerless and he opposes the proud 
and he brings down kings. So, when we lift up the humble and the powerless, we are showing people what God's kingdom looks like. We know that God looks past appearances and looks on the heart. We know, for example, that God is slow to anger. So when we are slow to anger, we show people what God is like. God is forgiving. He loves his enemies. And so we want to show people what that, what that looks like. In addition to doing the random acts of kindness, then, if we're building the kingdom, then we need to engage in substantial, systematic, and strategic acts of restoration. Not just random stuff out there, but entire systems, entire cultures. In other words, we don't just go out there and pass out sandwiches on Skid Row. Okay, that's, that's a, a kind gesture. But we want to go beyond that. We want to end homelessness, right? We want to get at the root causes of homelessness and do something about that, right? Now, a side note. People have been saying lately that I've been getting really political. Um, and... I just want to comment on that for a moment. Because I, I want to clarify that the gospel, if we're talking about this, Jesus is making all things new and invading every area of society, then the gospel, by nature, is going to lead us to start wading into issues that the world considers political in nature. Because at the heart at the heart of our gospel, it begins with this proclamation. Jesus is Lord. Everybody, just, just, just say that, because that's, that's the gospel, okay? Jesus is Lord. Now, you just made the strongest political statement you could ever make. Jesus is Lord. In Jesus' day, that was heard as a very charged political statement because what they were saying was Caesar is not Lord, right? Jesus is Lord by nature. You are already making a political statement. And it's just as political and divisive now. We've just kind of forgotten that, right? The kingdom of God inevitably is going to, at some point, be at odds with the kingdoms of this world. It's inevitable, and sparks are going to fly at some point, right? At some point, you being a Christian is going to require that you take a certain position and that you make certain decisions because the world is broken and God is restoring it. Not apart from us, not without us to say, hey guys, just, you just hang over here while I go fix this. No, he's doing it through us. So sooner or later, we're going to wade into those issues. So for example, for Christians deciding whether or not we accept refugees, that's not a political issue. It's a moral issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's a kingdom issue. Because God always, always stands with the weakest and the most vulnerable members of our society. And Jesus came bearing good news for people like that. So let me ask you this question. What could the church say or do that would sound like good news to Syrian refugees? We may have different opinions. We may answer that question differently. But we must ask the question. What would sound like good news to those people right about now? For Christians, how we care about the poor is not a political issue. 
It is a moral issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's a kingdom issue. And sooner or later, if we are caring for the poor, that's going to bring up things like welfare or health care reform or social security and other programs. We'll get, we're going to bump up against those things at some point. So what could the church say or do that would sound like good news to the poor? Both here in our own backyard and around the world. For Christians, how we think about race is not a political issue. It's a moral issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's a relational issue. It's a kingdom issue. What could the church say or do right now that would sound like good news to people of color? And I could go on and on. You get the point, right? The things that we often think of as political issues are not political to God. They're kingdom issues. We're the ones that, that slapped this little label on and said that's a political issue. God doesn't do that. And as Christians, we are called to join God in looking for how the kingdoms of the world are in opposition to the values of the kingdom of heaven. And so where do we see, as we're, as we're out there, where do we see the spirit of the Antichrist? The spirit of the Antichrist. In other words, where do we see hopelessness and pain and despair and injustice, the things that are opposed to Christ and his kingdom? Where does the enemy seem to have a stronghold in our world? And how does God want his church to then invade those places of darkness so that the kingdom of light might break in? God says in his kingdom... There will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. So how do we make our world look a little bit more like that? Less sickness, less pain, less death. God says in his kingdom there's going to be no more hunger or poverty. So how do we make this world look a little bit more like that? Right? God said in his kingdom that there's going to be no more division, no more hate. In Christ there's no Jew or Gentile, no male or female. So there's going to be no racism, no misogyny, no discrimination in heaven. So how do we make this world look more like that? Do you get what I'm saying? Everything that we say and everything that we do should sound like good news. And when people ask us, why, why do you work so hard? to advocate for justice? Why do you care so much about the people on the margins? Why do you pour out your lives? We say, because Jesus is Lord. And his kingdom is near. And we want to show people what it's going to look like. Now, most of us are familiar with the great commandment. Yes? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Most of us are familiar with the Great Commission. Make disciples of Jesus Christ in every nation on earth. But we also have Great Commandment, Great Commission. We also have what Christians call our cultural mandate. We don't talk about it as much, but we should. It precedes the Great Commandment and the Great Commission in Scripture. It's the first instruction ever given to mankind, and we just talked about it. When God says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living creature. That's the cultural mandate. And here's how we explain that. That first phrase, be fruitful and multiply, means God wants us to develop the social world. Build families, but not just families, but churches and schools and cities and governments and laws. Make those things fertile. Make them fruitful. We develop those things. The second phrase, subdue the earth, 
<coughs> means harness the natural world. So plant crops and build bridges and design computers and compose music. And so we call these th this the cultural mandate because it tells us that our original purpose is to create cultures and to build civilizations. We are called to shape the world so that it looks the way God intended, and we can do that because of Jesus, because his spirit dwells in us. We've been redeemed. Now, we may differ in our solutions, right? How we solve these things, how, our methods. But as Christians, we always should have the same desire, the same heart when it comes to the refugee, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the life of the unborn, and the life of the mother who carries it. We stand on the side of life. Not just with our words, but with our actions, with the systems and laws that we establish, we always stand on the side of life. We are not trying to be political. We are just trying to carry out the great commandment, the great commission, and the cultural mandate. If you're following Jesus, sooner or later you're going to come into contact with the powers that be in this world. And sooner or later you're going to see things that are anti-Christ, that are opposed to the values of the kingdom. And sooner or later God is going to stir your heart to speak and to act. And let me tell you, somebody at some point is going to say, you're being political. And I just want to encourage you at that time. Don't, do not be afraid. Follow the Holy Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit. You being a Christian is already a political statement. We are people who say that Jesus is Lord. It was a political statement. In his day, it's a political statement now. It was divisive then. It's divisive now. But that's our identity. That's our message. And I pray that we are all willing to stand up and confess that without any shame. Jesus is Lord. And whatever consequences come from that, so be it. Yes? So, we are called to be a blessing, to add value to the world around us. Let's come back to that. The primary way we do that is to connect people with Jesus, the giver of life, the source of our strength, the one who gives us power and wisdom to shape the world according to God's desires to preach the gospel. But as we work to change the world, there is an extremely important principle that we have to keep in mind. And for some of us, this is going to be a revolutionary idea. Like, what? Right? As we work to change the world, I want you to keep this in mind. And this comes from Acts 2 where this is uh, Peter's first sermon in the early church. <clears throat> and he gets up. And he's quoting Joel, the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. But then he adds this. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people, even on my servants, both men. Even, in other words, even on the Christians. The Christians are, oh, I'm going to, all people. Oh, but you guys too, right? Church, you guys too. I'll pour out my spirit on you too. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is so important, guys. God is pouring out his spirit on all people, not just Christians. 
In other words, that means that we should be looking beyond our own church, even outside the Christian faith, in order to advance God's purposes. In other words, we should be actively partnering with anyone and everyone that God appears to be giving dreams and visions to, that God is inspiring to make the earth look more like heaven. That means that anyone who is working to end poverty, who is seeking to cure disease, who is looking to provide clean water, who is seeking justice for the oppressed, who is providing job, tra- job training for widows in India, or working to end human trafficking and child slavery, anyone who is trying to help refugees rebuild their lives, who is an advocate for orphans and foster kids, regardless of whether they call Jesus Lord, we should be open to considering them an ally. They are our friends. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we just are totally undiscriminating and that there are, we have no criteria. Some people may be working t- towards these things but may have a, a motive that we don't agree with. But, man, if you're doing something that, is, that God cares about and you're doing a good job of it, we'd like to talk to you. We are fond of quoting an African proverb around here. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so in the Bible, we see several instances of the people of God working with outsiders to accomplish God's purposes. Joseph worked with the Egyptians uh, to alleviate famine. We read that in Genesis 41. Nehemiah (coughs) asked for resources from King Artaxerxes of Persia to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Jeremiah told the Jewish exiles in Babylon to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which God had carried them. He said, pray to the Lord for your city, because if it prospers, you're going to prosper. Luke writes about a Roman centurion whose servant was about to die from illness, and the Jewish elders were advocating on his behalf, saying, hey, this man loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Can we help him? So we see many examples in Scripture of the people of God working together with people outside the faith to do what God has asked us to do. And there are some Christians, unfortunately, that look upon outsiders with suspicion. And they they only want to work with other Christians. Or they only want to buy from Christians or sell to Christians. And this is a tremendous lost opportunity because we should be looking anywhere and everywhere for people who want to join us in doing good. We should be looking for evidence, evidence that God is pouring out his spirit in the world, giving people dreams and visions of the kingdom, even if they don't yet know Jesus personally. Let me tell you why this is so important. Because the gospel is about a God who loves all people, who sent his son Jesus to die for all people, who offers new life to all people, and therefore God can redeem anyone and use Anyone. See, here's the thing. The Israelites believed that uh, the people of Moab were bad, right? Deuteronomy 23 says the Moabites were not allowed to join the assembly of the Lord. But then comes the story of Ruth, the Moabite, who is held up as an example of faithfulness and is one of just five women who are listed in the genealogy of Jesus. The Israelites believed that the people from Uz were evil, But then we read the story of Job, a man from Uz, who was the most blameless man on earth. The Israelites were taught that no eunuch 
was supposed to be allowed into the community. But then in Acts 8, we read about an African eunuch who was welcomed into the church. The Israelites hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated them back. But then Jesus tells a parable in which the Samaritan is the hero of the story, showing mercy to a man when two religious leaders would just walk by. Do you see a pattern here? It's no secret that there are Christians who don't think very highly of Muslims. The Moabites, Uzites, eunuchs, and Samaritans of our day, they don't think very highly of Muslims. They're not afraid to say so. The LA Times published a story recently about a man living in Azusa. His name is Mohammed Bzik, and he is a Libyan-born Muslim. Uh, Mohammed is a foster parent. He's been doing it for 22 years. He and his wife started taking kids in in the 80s, um, and she passed away recently, but he's still doing it. He's still fostering. But you see, what makes Mohammed unique is that he is the only foster parent in the entire county who will take children who are terminally ill. And he cares for them until they die. More than 40 dying children have spent time under his roof. And he has buried 10 of them. And he died in his home. And it is an enormous job, and Mohammed hasn't taken a day off in seven years. And when people ask him, why do you do this? He says, it's my faith. I take those kids. I know they need somebody. I know there, is, there are not many people for them. His current foster daughter is six years old. She's blind and deaf, has very little brain function, and she could die at any time. And he says, they'll just put her in a facility or send her to the hospital. They never have family. I will take them, and they will have a family. And when they die, they will die with a family. Is God using Muhammad, a Muslim, to reveal something about God's heart for the orphan, for the vulnerable? Is this a glimpse of the coming kingdom? I think so. Does Muhammad share our convictions about Jesus? Does he call Jesus Lord? No, not yet. But he's sure doing something that Jesus would do, yes? He acts more like a Christian than many people in our churches. And I see God working in his life. Would you agree? This story, this kind of story, is played out again and again, both in the Bible and through church history. This is how God operates. He surprises us by raising up servants from the most unexpected places. Do you know why? We call ourselves Nazarenes. Why the Church of the Nazarene is named that way? Because Jesus was from Nazareth, a tiny, dull, insignificant backwater town in the middle of nowhere. No major trade routes. Just in the middle of nowhere. It was Podunk, USA. And when Jesus called Philip to be his disciple, and Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, "I found the Messiah." His name is Jesus. He's of Nazareth. Nathaniel goes, Nazareth? That place? Can anything good come out of there? 
We call ourselves Nazarenes because we are just a bunch of nobodies that God loves and who God believes can do great things, that God can call his servants from anywhere. So my encouragement to you is not to write anyone off. Don't ever say, that person's a lost cause. Because God can use anybody. God can call anybody. Our mission is to go out and look for the next Ruth the Moabite, for the next Job from Uz, for the next African eunuch. We're supposed to go out there and look for the Good Samaritan, for the next Matthew the tax collector who's become Matthew the apostle, for the next Peter, formerly known as Simon, for the next Paul, formerly known as Saul. We're called to go fishing for those kinds of people. And what are we inviting them into? We're not inviting people to go to heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not about how to get to heaven. It's about how heaven has come to us through Jesus. It's not about how to get to heaven. It's about how to get to God. That's the gospel. In other words, the question, the leading question is not, if you were to die tomorrow, would you know where you would be? The leading question is, how would you like to be part of the greatest restoration project in history? How would you like to be a world changer? Let's not forget why we're spending all this time in our communities. It's not just about doing nice things for people. We are fishing for the sons and daughters of God. We are fishing for the future partners in the gospel. We are looking for signs that God is working in someone's life that he is giving them a dream and a vision of the coming kingdom. And when we spot those signs, we say, you know, I think God is speaking to you. I think God plans to use you for something very special. I'm part of a church that's looking for people like you. Would you like to meet some of my friends? Is that not a wonderful invitation? Jesus is making all things new. He's calling us to join him. Now, to do that, we must first be renewed ourselves. We have to be cleansed of sin. We have to be restored to right relationship with God, and Jesus has done that for us. We need to receive the Holy Spirit. But then, if we are listening, we're going to hear Jesus say, okay, all right, come on, follow me. Let's go show the world what my Father's kingdom is like. Amen? Let's pray. God, I've lost count of the number of times when I have just walked out that door, gotten in my car, gone to the store, gone about my business, and totally not been looking at the world through your eyes. It's like going fishing and leaving your fishing gear at home. Not prepared, not, not looking, not, not searching. <coughs> Help us all to be looking for the sons and daughters of God who have forgotten who they are, who are lost. Let's go looking for them. Help us to go fishing for the future partners in the gospel. 
help us to see how you're working in their lives and say, and tell people that. Say, I think God is working in your life. We're looking for people like you. And to invite them into something beautiful and something great, something majestic. Just center us, God, and who we are and what we're really supposed to be doing. Give us the sensitivity, the love, the compassion. You can call anyone from anywhere. And you call us to go looking for those people. So you do that, Lord. Do it. Do it in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.